I was campaigning and I would say, excuse me, ma'am, please vote for so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And I knew from a public voter record that she was a Democrat mm-hmm. and that her husband is a Republican. Mm-hmm. She was pulling out of her driveway and she was like, quickly, 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 give me the flag, quickly, 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 quickly. <laughs> oh, folded it. God. Yes. I was like, okay, that's oh. wild to feel like you have to hide it. Like right. what is going to happen? Welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. So I'm really excited because today's guest actually has a personal connection to one of the crazier stories that I've told on this podcast. So on, I believe it was Here to Make Friends, I told this story about literally the worst day of my life at Chuck E. Cheese. But what I didn't tell was that my friend Patrick was so instrumental in coming in clutch and driving me to Burbank the next day, driving me around to like pick up all my stuff, get a new key for my car, and he really saved the day. And it was a great bonding experience. So I am really excited to introduce Patrick and to talk about much more than just that Chuck E. Cheese date. So first off, what were you doing at Chuck E. Cheese? You know, that was that was a bad decision on my part. In my in my defense, I was 22, but he really sold me on it. He was like, you know, it's more fun <laughs> than people think. You can like buy beer. The pizza's made in-house. And I did find out like the pizza is really made in-house. Like they started delivering pizzas after the pandemic under like oh. a fake name. So people wouldn't know it was Chuck E. Cheese. So those things are true, <laughs> but you're right. I shouldn't have gone on the date. That was yeah, the first see, red flag. That was a red flag because you know he plays games. You know he plays games. <laughs> I didn't have class. I saw your plea for help and I was like, this sounds fun. (laughs) Yes. I was so grateful because like my roommate was out that weekend and it was just on the cusp of when Uber and Lyft were becoming a thing. So like taking an Uber out there, it's annoying, but manageable, but a cab is so expensive. So I was super grateful. Right. And I always had fun with you at parties. So it was just like, let's have a fun day. Let's go to Burbank. (laughs) (laughs) I remember you introduced me to Zanku Chicken that day, I think. (laughs) Zanku. Okay, don't get me started. They gave me a shout out. (laughs) They told me they love me on Facebook. I was like. (laughs) Oh, my God. I feel like you're just their biggest fan. And it's now mutual because you've probably promoted them to so many people, myself included. Lifetime falafels. (laughs) Amazing. So yeah, I am really excited to talk with you because, you know, I know you've always been really passionate and politically involved. And I think you just always have really insightful things to say. And I thought it would be great to bring you on to talk about politics and dating. And I think particularly in today's landscape and environment, it's become more important than ever. And so really excited to dive into this topic with you. Right, for sure. Thank you so much uh, again for having me. I was really excited to do this. So my background is in civil rights law, as it was a concentration at UCLA's major for political science. And from there, I've been working in family law, labor and employment, uh, and how civil rights plays into that. I'm a community organizer. I've worked on a couple U.S. House of Representatives congressional races. And now more than ever, Black Lives Matter every day, all the time. And so... 
the elephant in the room, you can no longer hide it. If you're black, white, Muslim, Christian, queer, straight, we all saw what happened at the Capitol, the insurrection by white terrorists. And this is crucial, not on a domestic level, but on an international grander scale. And I would say my political activism started, I was always a human rights activist from middle school and high school with Amnesty International primarily, helping up the women of Guadalajara in Mexico, and creating, helping fundraise mosquito nets for those in Ghana, boycotting, I think it was the Laos consulate in Los Angeles. Mm. I was just a fiery Aries who, (laughs) if there was a protest, I I was there. (laughs) So that was always in the back, but I started off as a math and computer science major. I didn't know that. Yeah, I kind of jumped around a lot. I did IDS, International Development Studies, to economics. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't pick a major. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from a family that's like out of America, like you got, you got to find a major that's going to pay. So I did. Oh yes. Yeah. And you were a biology and mm-hmm. pre-med major. So we're, we get it. We both get it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't really know what you want to do at 17 when you're applying. <laughs> that's a whole yeah. different conversation on yep. education system. Indeed. And so then I was just not really comfortable in the major as I entered upper division courses where it was like 20 folks in a room, super competitive. I realized there was something missing in my heart. And so I got into politics even further with the onset of the Black Lives Matter movement around 2013. But more so than ever, I would say fall, winter of 2015, 2016, I started hearing a lot of stories and that highly emphasizes the importance of listening to black voices, black female voices, black queer voices, black trans voices. And just my behavior and activism just became informed. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And so I realized how important it is to be more civically engaged. My third eye Mm -hmm. was telling me that from the jump and lo and behold, we saw what happened this week. Mm -hmm. Everything we feared about what would happen four years ago came to fruition. And so I, it felt right. And as you said, you know, you don't know what you want when you're 17. When I came back and took that extra year to graduate, I think developmentally and psychologically, I was better able to retain the dense text. Mm-hmm. I was more passionate and wanting to learn more. So that's kind of my background and how I'm so passionate right now about politics. I love that. And I think it would also be helpful, like you mentioned, you have immigrant parents, as do I. And so would love to hear a little bit more about your identity and how that has also shaped your involvement in politics. Oh, yeah, totally. So I am Lebanese, Maronite Catholic, queer, gender fluid. And so how that affected my relation to politics was my parents were refugees from the Lebanese Civil War facing religious persecution, which already started my defense for religious liberty. Mm. And seeing the rigid gender roles in the Lebanese culture, I started having greater empathy and understanding of the female energy. And then how, as a queer, I could navigate my masculine energy and touching my feminine side as well. And so... How this got me into politics is because an attack on one of us is an attack on all of us. Mm-hmm. It's a tough journey, but to anyone who is listening and concerned about how they take that next step into activism, I just say, be yourself, walk in your mm-hmm. truth. The right people will fuck with you. 
Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Leslie and I have been friends for several years and several years later we're doing this speaks yeah. volumes of just good things take time and it'll get better, but never forget your roots and where you came from. Yeah, I think that's so important. And now in particular, I think it's nearly impossible to do that. But I think especially earlier on, you know, before things became so politically focused for everybody in the country, I think it was a little bit easier to maybe, I don't like maybe set your identity aside or not focus on how your identity and your upbringing shape the person who you are today. But I think it's just really important to be cognizant of that. And especially when it comes to dating, because I know we were talking about how do these things manifest themselves in dates and when we're figuring out who we want to date and who we might connect with. And I will speak for myself first. I'll say that, you know, I have definitely become more politically minded in recent years. I would say like the last five, six years, like if I'm just being honest. So prior to that, maybe it wouldn't have been something that I actively considered when I was selecting someone to date. But with each passing year, that becomes harder and harder to ignore. And so I wanted to talk to you about the fact that you were politically engaged from such an early age? Was that always something that you considered when you were, you know, looking into people who you might be interested in? So I didn't start dating until I didn't lose my virginity until I was 21. Ugly duckling Mm. syndrome. I'm an FFK. Oh my God. Patrick is so handsome. So that is literally crazy to say. (laughs) I was a former fat kid, part of the FFK club. (laughs) Um, But I would say at that time, you're right. It was like, what did we talk about before what was the news even talking about before this Mm -hmm. and it finally bit us in the butt that it's your patriotic duty that's i think that's patriotism patriotism is calling out and and that's love in a sense and we can get to that in a second about calling out someone for their problematic behavior i would say that's love Mm -hmm. because you could just Mm -hmm. walk away but when did it come up in conversations Ah. so i wasn't really (laughs) (laughs) much dating (laughs) i would say when the onset of trump started Mm-hmm. first date there is that meme of black <laughs> china where she's sitting with her cat frame glasses quiet and she's like me getting ready to ask them about their stances on black lives matter women's <laughs> rights water rights immigration rights <laughs> so at first they would ask me what i do what i'm interested in and it's mm-hmm. so messy i can't deny that with my line of work politics will always come up mm-hmm. So it would happen on the first dates, which is very dangerous, especially if you're a female, because if it goes wrong and you're not in a safe environment, you know, just play your cards right. But that was my male privilege. And I'm 6'2", 215 pounds. I could Mm -hmm. handle myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as things got worse until like 2017, up till now, my dating profile bio said, if you don't support Black Lives Matter, just please don't message me. (laughs) <laughs> just yeah. point blank <laughs> weed them out yeah. weed them out yeah literally weed them out and they say that's so bigotry hear them out you're right you're right maybe we should be hearing these folks out who want to vent but on terms of personal health and self-care and what i need from a loving partner no question non-negotiable cut that shit out because i need a partner to support me when i'm at my lowest days i need someone to uplift me and give me that juice and the strength to continue fighting the good fight in my line of work. So those are what my needs are. And I think this is a great segue to talk about love languages. Mm -hmm. Gary Chapman wrote the book, Five Love Languages, on how to express heartfelt commitment and expression to your mate. And this was written in 1992. 
So the five love languages, and I know you've talked about it before in your other episode, uh, Leslie, Mm -hmm. words of affirmation, quality time, receiving slash giving gifts, Mm -hmm. acts of service, and physical touch. So Chapman says humans will want to receive love the same way they give the love. And Mm -hmm. the way you understand your partner better with open communication is seeing how they interact with the world around them and how they give love to people in their community or what they complain about are languages of how we communicate and relate to one another. And a lot of people don't know what love is anymore. And Lauren Hill talks about this too. If someone doesn't stimulate you anymore, how we hang up the phone and Mm. we gave up on each other. And I think Mm. as a society now from the left and the right, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib says, we're not divided. We are just disconnected. Mm. And, And we're seeing that a lot right now too with the Capitol Hill insurrection. Folks are saying, I'm just venting. I just, I'm just venting. I'm sorry. I have frustration. It's like, okay, that wasn't, that was the worst way to vent. But yeah, on a psychological level, these are folks that are wounded children and there's something there that they want to convey. So that's super crucial. And that really resonated for me about how you love and interact with your community because that's basically what politics is. And then Chapman says there are, folks have a primary language and a secondary I want to start with physical touch real quick. I hate PDA. I hate PDA, especially in work events. Maybe the arm around the shoulder is fine. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's my internalized homophobia from years of living in a heteronormative space Mm -hmm. where I was told I couldn't be myself, feel that way. But regardless, I hate seeing people tonguing and making out friends, kissing (laughs) with other people around them or just doing Mm -hmm. that. Do not slap my butt in public, but I was, on a date. <laughs> I was at a date at an art gallery opening in Los Angeles, and we were in a private room, and they walked by and slapped my butt, and nobody saw, and that was kind of hot. But- I mean, yeah, when it's, like, discreet, that's, I, yeah, I feel like there's a time and place. I'm with you where I'm not about to make out with someone in public, but if it's subtle like that, I feel like I could be like, okay, fine. Right, right. So for me, I would consider myself more of a sapiosexual, meaning I need to be mentally stimulated to be physically turned on. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have to undress my brain to undress my pants or good luck turning me on. (laughs) So I would say my favorite love language at this point would be quality time. And Mm -hmm. how that ties in the politics is if you are of a disenfranchised identity or class, Mm -hmm by your race, gender, religion, what have you, you really need somebody to understand you behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Um, The line of work I do is extremely serious with a lot of confidential information. So, and I like one-on-one conversations. I could be a social butterfly at a party, but if we're sitting at a big round table, this happens a lot. I'll turn to the person next to me and just start mm-hmm. whispering and talking. How, how's your, how are you doing? And then people, yeah. this conversation around the room will get quiet and they're like, what are they talking about over there? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like that's how you and I started becoming right. friends because I still remember like meeting in a group. And then by the end of the right. night, I was just like, wow, I'm just really vibing with this guy. Like we've had some good conversation and I just met him. Right. I've been so bad at small talk once Trump got into office. <laughs> I just don't. There is no small talk. 
I just wanted to say, like, it's so interesting to look at love languages from this perspective. Because like you mentioned, of course, we've talked about it. I love talking about the love languages, but I hadn't really ever considered them from the perspective of how they might tie into politics and how it really reflects the ways that you might need to communicate with your partner about politics. So it's fascinating to hear this analysis. No, totally, because you owe it to yourself to be picky with who you let into your wall. So I would say mm-hmm. quality time for sure. Words of affirmation, just telling someone how you feel or reinforcing them. I think this one could be a give or take. I had a friend tell me she's over words of affirmation because empty promises, gaslighting, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. So I think it all depends on what kind of partner you have because the next one is also acts of service. I'm for sure quality time. I don't know what my second love language is yet because acts mm-hmm. of service. Now, when it terms it comes to politics, you want to see your partner giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. What is your partner's acts of service? Are they volunteering their time? Are they standing up and calling out racism when it occurs? So these love languages are also languages of how your partner interacts with the world and community around them, but then also mm-hmm. with yourself. So acts of service to your community for sure. I think acts of service could be manipulated in a partnership mm. where the person's like, I do this, 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 this for you, and you're not mm, grateful. That's so true. Yeah. Right. And then Yeah, it can like, be well, like thrown back in your face. Always. And then they'll be like, I always say, you don't have to do that for me. I'll do it for myself if you're going to mm-hmm. have to throw it in my face. And then and people are like, oh, well, you're not grateful, which I don't think is fair. Oh, that's not fair at all because you are grateful, but you're so busy with your career that those things like folding laundry, like your partner might think acts of service, like, hey, babe, I cleaned the floors. I fold the laundry. Like, why are you not happy? And then Mm -hmm. your partner, you, on the other hand, could be like, that's your duty for keeping up the apartment. Not home. <laughs> yeah, like that's the bare minimum, actually. That's the bare minimum. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I washed the dishes. It's like, yeah, everyone should wash the dishes. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I then the last one is receiving and giving gifts. You know, I've received expensive gifts that had no sentiment to them, and mm. it kind of added a more guilt component to the dynamic. It's like, oh wow, he spent this money, and I love a sentimental gift. I mm-hmm. love spontaneous gifts. I love just no need an occasion for a gift. Mm-hmm, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying clothes. I, I like to buy my own clothes. It will never fit me mm-hmm. if you buy me something. <laughs> Gosh, so, so much to dive into for this. So going back to your dating profile, even, and the fact that you kind of come up front and you say what your values are and are just intolerant of anyone who isn't accepting of those values. I feel like I've talked about this in other aspects of dating as well, where it's so important to just be your authentic self. I think it can be hard because, you know, a lot of times if you're coming from an insecure place when you're dating, you might want to be a little bit more of a people pleaser, or you might say like, I don't want to show this weirder side of me or this more niche side of me until I feel like this person likes me. When in reality, you're really just like wasting so much time because if you're trying to be everything to everyone, You're going to have a lot of dates and a lot of matches, but a lot of incompatibility down the line. And yeah, I think it's so great that you're just being upfront about what is a non-negotiable for you so that you aren't wasting that time. And then you can just form that deep connection right off the bat and know that your partner is on the same page as you, at least about the things that are most important. 
You make a great point about time. I guess it is about <laughs> getting to the chase. Preservation of energy, picking your battles. If I know it's not going to work out and we're probably going to enter a heated debate about what white mm -hmm. privilege is, that doesn't do me good. That doesn't help mm -hmm. out the communities of color that I'm trying to help out. How, what will set me up for success? And that is extremely crucial. And again, you are totally allowed to be picky and selfish with what your mm -hmm. needs are in your home because that is your home. You pay rent. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings up a question because so to backtrack and give a little bit of background for my dating, I have dated someone who his family is definitely Republican. I would say he is at least more Republican leaning, if not fully Republican. And it was interesting because I did date this person during the 2016 election. And I remember meeting his sister literally the day after the election and finding out she voted for Trump. So that was a lot to navigate. And we disagreed about a lot of things. And I think that part of why we dated is because I met him before I was so politically minded, like I'd known him for years before we became an item at all. So I think it was easier to kind of say, oh, well, I know him on this level beyond politics and kind of overlook those things. But I think, you know, with 2020 being as crazy as it is, I definitely thought to myself, I think it would have been really hard if we were still in a relationship because there's no way that we could ever gloss over some of the things that I might have glossed over before. And we would have conversations, but it just wasn't as in-depth or as dire as it would have been if we were still dating today, given everything that's going on. But I wanted to ask, do you think that there have ever been times when maybe you've dated someone who didn't share your exact political beliefs, but you were able to have a constructive conversation with them and maybe open their eyes to see a different perspective that they might not have? No, completely. And on the other side of the coin, you know, dating. And when I say dating, y'all, I mean, like, you could be talking to them or enter a full-on exclusive relationship. Because I had one person be like, I would never get to the point where I'm dating them. And so I mm -hmm. want to clear up the vernacular. Mm -hmm. So I have one person in my life who I've known for, gosh, almost a decade. Nothing mm -hmm. has happened between us. Mm -hmm. But it kind of, I'm getting Ross and Rachel vibes that this might be Ooh. person might be the... He's your lobster. <laughs> <laughs> so this person, we get along well. We get along really great. Mm -hmm. And we see eye to eye on the grander scale of politics. We see eye to eye in terms of the monopoly of corporations in America. We see eye to eye on, on an international relations scale on Israel and Palestine. We see eye to eye just in the bigger picture. He's into real estate. So when it comes down to small stuff, like, for example, I was like, did you hear what happened in Capitol Hill? He said, I'm over it. I said, mm -hmm. this is one thing you can't be over. But I was not mad. Mm -hmm. I was not mad mm -hmm. because when we have the one-on-one -on -one dialogue, um, we always have quality time together. We always find time to have coffee once a month or something. And it's, I think it's probably one of the most healthiest relationships I have or mm -hmm. like dynamics. We'll talk about things and he'll challenge me. But I know he's challenging me not because he's committed to the right-wing politics because he's not. I, I would consider him probably more of a left-leaning independent. But just for the mental stimulation, the activation of the sapiosexuality, but he supports me when it comes time for me to do my activism, which I think is cool. I don't know if I could date mm -hmm. another activist because this is my thing. You know, I like, <laughs> I like learning about real estate. I like to talk about real yeah. estate and cultivate yeah. that. But if this person didn't support me in my endeavors 
or pick me up from places or drive me or help me transport materials just to help do things because it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. That'd be tough. It's okay that they didn't see eye to eye on yeah. everything on a local grassroots level. But as long as we're on the same page, I think on an ethical value system, mm-hmm. um, that's fine. Now we went to a really nice fancy Italian restaurant in Del Mar a couple of weeks ago and he ordered chicken tenders. So I don't know if, <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, that's so funny you say that because I was coming up with like red flag deal breakers and I don't know why that came up of like what if they only eat food like chicken tenders and things like that. But I was like, you know what? That's not how I am. But I've known some amazing people who, you know, that's just their favorite food. It is what it is. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's questionable, but. <laughs> I mean, it was supposed to be like a nice dinner and yeah. um, it was kind of a power move, but also a childish power <laughs> move. <laughs> true he's like i mean what i want i don't care like where we are (laughs) and french toast wait at dinner oh sorry it's either always chicken tenders or french toast oh i was like okay that's the power move of like i know it's not this time but i'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's like fuck your time (laughs) (laughs) bring out that brunch menu i don't care that it's five (laughs) o'clock too funny too funny i just i'm teasing yeah yeah of course but i think everything you bring up is so right because that person who i dated who was more republican leaning i will say the main thing i really liked about him was that he was so intelligent like i think he was really well informed he was smart we had a lot of intellectual conversation so even if we disagreed about something it wasn't just like refusing to hear the other person's opinion you know we could have an informed conversation about it and i think that's really important too is like feeling like you can learn something from the other person or at least have a better understanding of where they're coming from versus someone just being like this is how i feel and like that's it that's how it is right and you know you make a lot of great points i think the reason why the fact we're even having this specific subject matter is because racism is something no longer you can just talk about as like a taboo subject it's so mm-hmm. pervasive it's literally now knocking on your front door in the storming of capitol hill they're like it's so sad but that was like one of their final deal breakers red and i was going to share a <laughs> red flag or deal breaker exactly <laughs> um so leslie i then have a question mm-hmm. so now you being a black female in a really competitive industry, how would you say your needs have changed pre-2016 to now, 2021? I'm so glad that you asked that because, you know, like I mentioned before, I wasn't always the most vocal about these things. I've realized, and now I've probably said it in the last three recordings I've done, I've realized that at my core, I'm a bit of a conflict averse person. I don't think that's a positive thing. Like I think that you should lean into conflict a bit more. It can be healthy if you approach it in a positive and constructive way. But you know, before that also would lead me to shy away from certain topics. And so I think that my needs now are that before I might have dated someone who I was like, okay, they aren't going to really understand like why X, Y, or Z is a frustration for me. Because, you know, they can't empathize. You can only empathize with things that you are personally going through. They might sympathize, but it's not going to be quite the same. And so maybe I wouldn't have brought it up. 
And now I would say if something is bothering me and it's something that is specific to me, like maybe it is related to race or it is related to my gender, I'm going to bring it up. And I say that like not even just within the confines of the relationship. Like I remember I told somebody who I was dating about one story that he was not involved in at all. And I was just like, this was such a weird situation. It was so awkward. It made me feel uncomfortable because of X, Y, and Z. And it was just like really refreshing to be able to open up and vent about that. Whereas before I would have been like, you don't need to talk about that. Like it's not really their problem. And I don't know, that's, I'm so glad that I'm beyond that, you know, because it was so refreshing to like see his response and see that he was like, yeah, I can totally understand why you would be feeling that way and just like hear my side of the story. And I feel like it really opened his eyes to other things and conversations that were happening that he might not have been aware of. I think one of the things that I mentioned was how over the summer, This didn't happen to me, thank God, I would have been so annoyed. But I think some people were saying in like podcasts that I was listening to that black people were getting like Venmos from like their white friends and colleagues as like a weird form of reparations out of the blue. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, I think that's so weird. And he was like, I didn't even know that people were doing that. That's so crazy and bizarre. So I think it's just nice to be able to share and like, again, open someone's eyes to something that they might have no insight to if you didn't bring it up. Sidebar real quick with the Venmo reparations. Before it was (laughs) uh, something that transpired in June, which I'm all for reparations, by the way. My Nigerian friend had a little too much to drink and she was at a UCLA party. And I woke up the next morning to a Venmo request that she sent me at 2 a.m., Mm-hmm. For a dollar, and it said reparations. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I oh sent it to God. her. That's hilarious. But then I texted her. I was like, "Hey, like, do you want to? Did do you want to talk? Do you want to talk something? about something? Yeah. <laughs> How I drunk saw was you. I last night? <laughs> I was like, I just saw you on campus yesterday. I don't. Are we cool? Did something? Yeah. Like, what did I do? I'm sorry. <laughs> she said she sent it to like so many people that night. <laughs> <laughs> How many dollars did she earn? Like, honestly, curious. I hope a lot. I hope. Yeah. I hope. Shoot your shot. But then, I wanted to ask you then too. So, of those five love languages, what would you rank as your number one, the number two? Or have they changed? Have your needs changed at a different love languages? I think that quality time will always be my number one. And I just love spending time with people I care about. And so it's interesting because when you were talking about getting an expensive gift, I've also talked about this on the podcast, I got, I wouldn't say it was so extravagant, but I got like a nice gift. You know, it's something that I still use and it's great. But I think I opened it and I was like, this gift wasn't very thoughtful. Like I just bought myself something similar. It was just like a nicer version of what I bought. And so for me, like when I give gifts to a partner, sometimes I will give material gifts. Like I actually do pride myself in gift giving if I'm going to flex a little bit. But a lot of times... (laughs) Go on. Flex. (laughs) Flex But a lot of times I also give gifts of like quality time. So that same... Christmas that I got this one material gift, I got him like a trip to Palm Springs because he loved Palm Springs. He was like obsessed with it, even though he'd only been once. And so I was like, (laughs) oh, I'll like plan this trip for us to go to Palm Springs. And that is literally the gift of quality time. So I would say that's my number one. 
Physical touch is interesting because I know that the love languages, they're not only relegated to romantic relationships. They can be also how do you express affection with friends. I will say I'm not like a very touchy-feely person with my friends. Like I think it's increased as time has gone on, but that's just not how my parents expressed themselves. Like they weren't super physically Mm. affectionate. So I think it's like Mm. taking time for me to build that up. But I will say I am a very physical person in romantic relationships. But to your point, that doesn't translate to me wanting to be all over my partner in public. I feel like that's really uncomfortable. So I think those two are like my top two. I also do like words of affirmation. We were kind of talking about this before we started recording. I, even if I'm dating you, there is part of me that's like, I know you probably think I'm attractive, but like, can you tell me anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. You're right. Always. Yes. So I value that. Remind me. Remind Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Especially if I like got dressed up, like it's nice to hear every now and then. Right. Yeah. And if I gained more than 10 pounds, let me know. If I gained five pounds, don't say, don't say shit. It's five pounds, (laughs) 10 pounds. (laughs) There's like Um, a window, like a grace period. No, for sure. And you touched base on something about love languages. You know, you're saying love starts at home. In terms of physical touch, I'm a huge hugger. I don't know Aww. what it is for everybody. I love giving hugs. So if someone ever gives me a sh- weird side hug or they give you a hug and I don't even feel you, but it's like a air yeah, hug. They like now, lean and it's just like their shoulders, uh, but their butt is like super far away still. Oh my god, I will unfollow you on Instagram. I'm like, <laughs> Deal breaker. Deal shady, shady, sketchy. I don't want I tease, I tease, I tease. I know some females feel like a lot of men have abused the notion of feeling up on them when they give a hug. Or just some people you know have are you never know what they've been through. So I, I'm yeah. teasing on that subject matter. Yeah, yeah. But back to love starting at home. So, you know, when the debate started arising on politics of there are good people on both sides. Like, I'm mm. sure they are quote-unquote nice people to their families because, you know, like, I hate to say it, you know, but in Nazi Germany, doctors were Nazis, lawyers were Nazis, the person next door was a Nazi, you know, mm. but they didn't think of it as the way we say the word Nazi now as, like, in terms of, you know, the genocide. Mm-hmm. But you start to realize more and more that there is weight in the energy that you convey and the love that you provide. So the way you communicate with your partner sets the tone of what kind of citizens of the world do you want to raise? What values are you instilling in your kids? The importance of respecting other races and respecting mm-hmm. other religions. And that love will start at home. And we start to see that a lot of heterosexual men or men in general don't talk about their feelings. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. And we see that manifested in school shootings. Mm -hmm. Oh, he was just a troubled kid. He was bullied. You know, still non excusable. And then those repressions act out. Like, for example, I I learned this in my international relations foreign policy class that Lenin and Stalin were schizophrenics. And they lacked that love, that lack of psychological communication if they only had talked through it. But a lot of the random strikes they've made or battles or assassinations and killings, if you caught them on a bad day, consequences on an extreme Mm -hmm. level. So I urge our listeners to realize the importance of manifestation of energy. You know how the quote goes, like, 
your emotions become thoughts and your thoughts become ideas and your ideas mm -hmm. become words and your words become actions and your actions mm -hmm. become habits and your habits become character and it all starts in your mind. Are we giving ourselves enough love to love thy neighbor? And I think it's going both ways. But I know I'm hearing a lot from my Republican and Trump friends that the left is so racist, more racist than the right. And they're so bigotry and intolerant. And they think they're the party of intolerance. And it's ironic now that I'm hearing a lot of Trump supporters who are defecting from that camp, a lot of them are mm -hmm. not pleased. They say he's turned into establishment. So I'm just so lost in all these identities. But it sounds like everybody feels hurt. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. And it's like, I know everyone is, well, I mean, hopefully everyone is aware of this after 2016. Now that social media is the way that it is and the algorithms work the way that they are, I think everyone is in even more of a political bubble than ever before, where you only see the opinions that mirror your own. And so it's easy to feel like, well, how could anyone else feel this way? Because you're not seeing the opinions or the arguments of anyone who feels opposite to you. But it sounds like you have broken out of that because you said like you have Republican friends who are coming out and expressing their dissatisfaction. And I'm curious, like, how do you maintain those relationships? Because I think friendships and the way that you navigate those differences that also can translate to like, how do you work through dating someone who might have a different political ideology as you? So how do you work through it? How do you like maintain that respect for each other when you might have such heated differences? This past year in 2020, I probably burned more bridges than I ever have ever in my life. And they all were about Trump or politics, per mm -hmm. se. I like that you said about the media real quick. I wanted to go back to that. Like The media is a word of affirmation. What you're consuming. I remember having someone talk to me and say, you didn't see a Republican friend. You didn't see this in the news. I realized for a second. We are listening to two different echo chambers. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not hearing anything that you're talking to me about. I'm not seeing yeah. what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And so one person who has become a friend, but we didn't talk for a while because I had to check him on his privilege. You know, we now just share articles. Those are some other words, affirmations. These are things I'm seeing. You know, this whole fake news notion you are denying words of affirmation when someone says that's fake news. You're denying truth. You're denying someone's expression. But my friend and I, it kind of originally, the, the pretext started off as a first date, and then we realized mm -hmm. we are just so much better <laughs> as friends. I think yeah. we immediately knew we'd be friends and not. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But how do I work through that? I just unfortunately have not let it get to that point. I had a friend mm -hmm. and colleague say, I don't even go there. <laughs> I don't even like, get to that point. I had one person I really did want to mention, and it touches base on this notion of complacency and white silence. And he and I took international law together and political theory, and we studied all the, all the time together. I honestly think he's super closeted, but I really enjoyed the vibe and chemistry we had together. But despite how attractive he was and popular he was, he came from a really wealthy white family that voted Republican for the dollar. And that's something we've seen too, is picking your pocket over human lives, picking your pocket over civil rights, just basic decency and humanity. And he, at the age of 22, had a great job lined up at a venture capital firm, was already making close to six figures, a little younger than me, had it made. 
Mm-hmm. And when it came down to talking about like the voting for Trump, he knew he knew it was bad. <laughs> he knew it was bad, but it, he was too comfortable with all the privileges and benefits mm-hmm. that came with this silence. Interesting. And even though we got along and had a good time, I would just see the pervasiveness of the attitudes that went along with it mm-hmm. when it came from seeing his whole social circle with a culture of ignorance, a culture of disconnect. Now, if he got it together and woke up in another life, who knows, right? But mm-hmm. I realized it would take a lot of energy and I would probably lose. And I know from the jump that I probably wouldn't fit in with that extended family. So that's so interesting that you bring that up because that same person who I dated whose family was Republican, I remember the first time I ever went to visit him, like I actually met his grandparents and we went into their house and they literally had like embroidered pillows on them that said Republican. And I was like, regardless of your political party, that's actually like very weird, I think. But I guess it's just like grandparent decor. I don't know. And so, of course, it's like... That's too funny. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, how does this family feel about me? Like, is this something that they're concerned about, that he's dating Mm. someone outside their race? And I have to say, I mean, they never did anything to make me feel uncomfortable or feel Mm. like they had any reservations. But I guess I understand it's like that's still always going to be in the back of your mind, regardless. And just to say, like, I just have to say this because his mom, before Mm. I met her, I was really nervous. And he's like, oh, you guys are actually very similar. And we were. She's so sweet. But yeah, I don't know. It is interesting. We love moms. We love moms. Yeah. I'm like, I love a welcoming, kind mom. I've heard some horror stories about moms who (laughs) are not accepting of the women that their sons are dating. So I've lucked out because I haven't experienced that. We stand a loving mom. Yeah. I had a question i don't know if you're able to answer it on the fly mm-hmm. with these males that you have dated was there ever a moment that made you make you feel black than yeah ever? definitely and i would say it has happened more with people who i've gone on dates with rather than anyone who has been my boyfriend so I've had things where, like, I straightened my hair before a date, and it was a drinking date. Like, it was definitely casual, but he, like, got a little tipsy, and he, first of all, he's the person who I've mentioned on the podcast who has said, like, I showed up, and he's like, wow, you're hotter than I thought you would be, and I was like, why did you even come on the date? Like, that's such a weird compliment, and then later on in the night, he was like, yeah, like, your hair looks so great. Like, black girl's hair doesn't usually look like that, and I was like, what the fuck? He said that? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Fuck. So, things like that don't happen a lot, fuck. but they've happened. What did you say? Was it your, your face said it all? I think my face said it all because, as you know, I have a very expressive face. <laughs> yeah. And then also you're a female meeting a male for the first time and just that notion of safety probably. and Yeah, right? It's just like... And again, me being conflict averse, do I always have the best quip ready on the fly? No. It's like one of those things where like you don't know what to say. And then later you're like, oh, I wish I had said this, but it's like the next day. I don't know. That is extremely, extremely, extremely troubling. I mean, I've had people of color call me the sand N-word on dating apps. 
and not even really? engage with me. They just hit me with it. Yeah, I'm so taken aback. And that's really troubling and upsetting. Yeah. Yeah, like um, nobody should be using language like that at all. I had, a, I had a question for you. And now I know the focus is about dating, but have you encountered another person of color who is super Trumpy and you're just like, what is going on? And how did that make you feel? Or did you ever have a conversation like that? Yes, I have. And it's really difficult. And I think that one thing I'll say is, you know, I don't want to generalize, of course, but in this case, I think that the person who I encountered who had this feeling, they don't feel like they have the same shared experience that maybe someone who grew up in America does. So race is just something that they don't focus on as much as some other people might in our present day. So I think for them, it's easier to dissociate, you know, the racial implications of being a Trump supporter by saying, like, I don't think that we need to focus on racism and, like, I don't want to view myself as a victim. And so I don't want to say that, like, supporting this person is detrimental to me because I don't lump myself in with, like, one group of people. Like, I'm an individual. And I have to say, like, I understand that view. Like, I do. Like, even if it's not how I personally feel, I can at least understand it. And it's still disappointing, but that's just where they're coming from. And it's someone who means a lot to me. And so I just have to try not to dive too far into it to a point where, like, it causes a rift in the relationship. I think that's really mature of you to just start with the notion of I get it and understanding. I actually have a friend, a good friend of mine who is biracial, who has told me, you know, Black people tell me I'm not black enough. White people tell me I'm not white enough. Mm -hmm. It's been a kind of recurring insecurity among people that are biracial, you know. And I've learned, you know, back to what you were saying about understanding. How do we cultivate allies? So an ally, sidebar, is someone who agrees with you on the stances. Now, how do we cultivate co-conspirators? People and folks who are on the streets with you protesting, uh, who are signing petitions, who are exhibiting action and proactive steps to take. And with my friends who I've experienced who feel out of touch with their ethnicity and race, it's words of affirmation I've learned have really helped them. That you are enough, you are black enough, you are white enough, Mm -hmm. you are smart enough, you know, you are on the right path. You know, I think that's something the left can do better about as we tote we're a tolerant party. But are we really taking the time to engage in these conversations? Now, mind you, some of these conversations, I don't think sometimes they're up for black people to feel responsible to have. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. where my role as a co-conspirator comes in saying, you know, Leslie, preserve your energy. I don't need you to emotionally tax yourself talking to white folks about what it means like I think that's where we've seen a lot of Middle Easterns and Latinos and Arabs really kind of step up in the movement Mm. and be like whoa folks have Google and folks have allies and (laughs) co-conspirators to help them but Mm -hmm. words of affirmation have really helped my friendship with that person who's biracial and then acts of service hey do you want to come with me to this protest Mm -hmm. sometimes the issue is information or dissemination of information which is back to the idea of communication like 
where are these things I can go do? I, I, mm-hmm. I wish I knew more. I hosted actually a couple of diversity, inclusion, and equity trainings for high school and undergraduate interns uh, on a congressional campaign that I worked on. And my white interns had said, you know what? I feel stupid because I wish mm. someone told me these things. I wish my parents told me these things. They were upset mm. at their parents a little bit. Oh, like, yeah. it's like, I'm down, I'm down, I'm with you. I just, I don't have the tools. Mm-hmm. I don't have the language, you know. I love that love language has been kind of a huge theme in this topic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then how do we go from there? Sidebar, something I wanted to say. I remember what I wanted to say. Yes. I was campaigning. I was knocking on door. And I would say, excuse me, ma'am, please vote for so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And I knew from my data sheet from a public voter record that she was a Democrat mm-hmm. and that her husband is a Republican. Mm-hmm. She was pulling out of her driveway and she was like, quickly, 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 give me the flyer, quickly, 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 quickly. <laughs> oh, folded it. God. Yes. I was like, I mean, that's oh. wild to feel like you have to hide it. Like right. what is going to happen if your Republican husband sees you taking a flyer for a Democratic candidate? That should just be like a discussion, not like an argument. I was like, do you want me to call someone? Like, yeah, <laughs> blink like, are twice. You okay? <laughs> oh my god. My favorite thing, by the way, is when someone's like, blink once if you need <laughs> instead of blink twice. Yeah, blink like, oh shit. <laughs> You're just like now blink trying once. to like hold your eyelids open. <laughs> Oh my god. And then when we did phone banks, this happened several times. We were like, hi, I'm calling from so and so. May I please speak with so and so? And the partner who's Republican will be like, why? Why do you want to speak with them? (laughs) Oh my god. And it's like, hand me the fucking phone. Like, it just. Like, this is an Antifa recruitment party. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, what do you think this is? So I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it's so wild to imagine not dating across the political aisle. That's one thing like that you, you know, can find a way to navigate. But it's crazy to imagine being in a relationship where you can't talk about your opposing views. Like the last Mm. person I dated around the November election, it was like, okay, you know, we both obviously know who we're voting for, for president and vice president. But like in terms of like the propositions, we had Mm. this date. It was honestly like one of my favorite dates where after I had filled out my ballot and dropped it off, I like made all these notes in the proposition book. And we went to dinner and we went through all the list. And then we talked about which ones we voted for and why. I wish I could remember how many we dissented on. It wasn't like, oh, we voted opposite on everything. But it was like maybe like 30 to 50 percent, probably like 30 to 40 percent we had differing opinions on. And it was just so great to be able to openly discuss and be like, I see where you're coming from. Here's what I was considering and here's where I'm coming from. It was just honestly like the healthiest discussion I think we could have possibly had about it. I am so happy that you had that experience because it's so rare, very mature. We need to start normalizing proposition dates proposition like just post-covid life speed dating fill out your ballot kind of love that yeah it's tough because you know i don't even remember what we used to even debate about i don't even know (laughs) what the republican parties i just don't like it was a simpler time you know was it economics was it war immigration War. war oh god oh god yeah, I mean. which was, you know, in retrospect, a bad idea. But at the time, it was what we and found also, all necessary. It, 
again, being honest, it's like, you know, I was a lot younger then. So I was not right. having debates about the Iraq war. Like I had a stance on it, but I don't think I was quite informed enough to have the level of debate that I could have now. And it just wasn't right. the dominant focus in my life at the time. Oh, 100%. And you know, everything in hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to look back and say all that. But right now, more than ever, my intuition and my heart has been guiding my politics just because of the rise of Trump. But, you know, I think it comes back down to just when your policies start to hurt somebody on a very cruel level, you know, that's where I think that's a non-negotiable. So we talk about time period. I was young at this time. It didn't really affect me. It didn't bother me. I think the onset of technology has been huge. You know, we have video cameras now filming folks of color being murdered by police officers, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is new. I had no idea. No, this is America. And this is what America has been. There's just uh, evidence now. Just evidence. It's recorded and we're seeing it. And I think this nation is finally having a social reckoning. Like, you said, what did we even talk about before? Race was not on the table because they focused on taxes and corporations. Now we are realizing we have a monopoly of corporations that screw over people, hardworking blue-collar folks, mm-hmm. screws over Republicans and Democrats. We've seen the exploitation of the working class and the proletariat. We've seen the exploitation of women not getting equal pay, equal work. These things are just coming to light where people are just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we have been hoodwinked and we need to start from scratch. And I'm really curious to see where we head. Because I think right now we're facing a constitutional crisis. We're entering uncharted waters. I saw a meme where it was like, living through historical events has been really exhausting. And it's Literally. It's been too many. I think we've hit our quota. (laughs) We've hit a bit. And it was funny because I remember growing up, in middle school, reading history books, like, wow, America is this great nation. Like, we overcame all these good things. Wow. Like, you know, we stopped slavery. You know, we beat World War Two and all these things. Like, no, this country is founded on hatred mm-hmm. and colonialism. And back real quick to getting my butt slapped. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't expect that Just, to be what you were circling no, back yeah. to. <laughs> Fill that ass in a circle. But I remember this white <laughs> Stop. I remember this white guy slapped my butt and I was like, you cannot colonize my ass. Oh like my that is God. one thing. Wait, did you say that? <laughs> yes. I freaking love that. How did he respond? God knows. Probably just like racist. I don't know. Fuck. Oh <laughs> okay, so during Undie Run, I know you remember Undie Run. I yes. remember I was running and this guy ran by and like grabbed my ass and I wish Shoot. I had had something really clever to say like that, right. but I was just like, what the fuck? And he was like, what? It's a compliment. And I was like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> it's so, so crazy. So, but I so mean, that's crazy. a story for another time. My favorite butt grabbing scene is from Rush Hour 2, when Chris Tucker <laughs> is, you know, when he's doing the distraction at the, the roulette table and Jackie Chan goes to sneak upstairs and he wins and he's like winning big money and then he's like, Who touched my butt? Oh, Do it again. Hey. 
<laughs> do it again. Oh my god. Okay, well, while we are talking about favorite butt grabbing scenes, I watched Home Alone 2 for the first time in a while. And I remember when Kevin was with the wet bandits and he's on the street and he's like, How do I get away from these guys? And he grabs this woman's butt. Like he literally right. reaches under her skirt and grabs it. And then she Shoot. looks back and is like, He did it. I just like died. <laughs> He did it. <laughs> I was like, God. damn, th- what kind of like 10-year-old knows to like grab a woman's butt? Like, h- I feel like my 10-year-old brain would not work that way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then if you want to talk about repressed heterosexuality and bi curiosity, when people in sports games slap each other's butts. But I digress. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting tradition that we have. <laughs> but, you know, now we've defined love languages, we've defined pre-Trump life, we've defined current Trump life, Mm -hmm. and now I think maybe we should probably try to navigate how we heal as a nation or how, you know, us as people of color, we're going to continue dating. And now I wanted to ask you, what would you do if you met someone who, you know, said, you know, I voted for Trump, but, you know, I kind of regret it in a post-2021 life, I don't know. Like, what, where do you see us going now in terms of what your needs are in a post-2021? I had one person tell me, I just want things to go back to normal. What is normal? I don't think... We, Literally, there is yeah. no normal anymore. Yeah. Well, if someone were to say, oh, I voted for them and I regret it, I think I would be okay with that. Like, it wouldn't be a deal right. breaker off the bat. I think I would definitely want to have more conversations with that person. But I think think that if they were in a place where they were being reflective enough about it and they were being introspective about the fact that like, okay, I do regret it. Why do I regret it? Like what's caused me to regret it? How have my beliefs changed? Then honestly, I don't see any reason why we couldn't work through it. That's not to say we necessarily would, but there would definitely be like promise there. What about for you? If they voted for him twice, fuck that shit. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's a whole different story. Because then that's it's like, whole... you clearly don't regret it. If, like, the only thing to make you regret it was the storming of Capitol Hill, then, yeah, I think we just are too different in terms of what our morals and values are. But if they voted for them once and they said, I changed my perspective, then I think I could get past it. To answer your question, I would agree with that. I'd say if operating with intention i think Mm -hmm. you know we have to see that they felt like their identity was at threat even though we completely think the means of it were outlandish i don't know it kind of eventually also becomes just what you look for and Mm -hmm. what you want to cultivate but as we navigate a post-life i think we all are just going to have to get used to educating because you know we saw in germany after uh, the regime of hitler and the nazis They educated the nation. The nation is ashamed of what happened, even though there are still Mm -hmm. Nazis and white supremacists who, Mm -hmm. you know, are kind of sprouting up everywhere now. Mm -hmm. They kept the camps as a historical education system. We are not going back to do this. They don't have statues of Hitler. So people say, oh, our Confederate statues, we're moving history. Why don't we put statues up to abolitionists? Mm-hmm. Why don't we put more mm-hmm. statues of those that helped freed the slaves who were really mm-hmm. fighting on the ground? Where is a Harriet Tubman statue? You know, mm-hmm. um, so it's that form of education, and that's what happens when you let things fester under the rug. 
And that is the same thing on a microcosm level that occurs with your partner. If mm-hmm. you don't talk about things and engage in a love language that not only that you understand and your partner understands, you create turmoil. And that turmoil, you know, can turn into a generational curse and generational trauma of feeling neglected as a child or feeling neglected as a partner. I wanted to circle back to one other thing. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. that typically you date people of color. And I wanted to hear your thoughts about race and dating. Like you mentioned that it's your preference. Is it something where you'll exclusively seek to date people of color? Or do you feel like, you know, it's just a preference at this point? Thank you for saying that because something that's really toxic in the queer community is you'll see a lot of people in their bios saying no blacks, no Asians, no Latinos. And then you'll see people's bios saying looking for white. And it's so gnarly how... mm -hmm. As a question, do you mainly Mm -hmm. see those things, those two distinctions from white people within the queer community or have you seen it from other races as well? Interesting. Let me come back to that and I'll answer the where I stand. Mm-hmm. Something with being a co-conspirer is always check yourself. I check myself every day. And something that's toxic is cancel culture. And that could probably be in a whole other conversation. But mm-hmm. always check yourself. Always find room for growth. Like we said, operating with intention. If the person you dated and voted for Trump once is interested to see how they got there, we can unlearn what they already know from what their parents taught them. Mm -hmm. But I just think right now in this point in time, the love languages that Patrick needs would be like, for example, you know, just them standing up and being proactively anti-racist. I think Mm -hmm. that term anti-racist is crucial. It's no longer okay to be like, I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. It's time to undo the work. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important now that we need a partner to help you with that. I think it's now everyone's moral and civic obligation to go back to what you're saying. Have you seen that before? you know what, we can't put people of color in a box. You know, not all black people are the same. Not all Mm -hmm. Arabs are the same. And I can't think come to mind, but I'm sure there are. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure there are preferences where a black person in the bio says only white people. And it's unfortunate. And we've seen it too sometimes with misogynoir where, you know, black Mm -hmm. men value white women. Mm -hmm. Or white women on the flip side will say dating a black man is a downgrade. And... Those are things we just need to start working on. But I think the most important thing as people of color in our communities is joy. You know, Mm -hmm. we deserve these things for once, you know, like Mm -hmm. we cower, we coddle, we educate, we handhold folks through tough conversation. When can we flourish? Mm -hmm. And I think now is the time we flourish. And, you know, the last pandemic occurred in 1918, the flu. I think, was it called the flu? I think it was the Spanish flu. But then we had the Roaring Twenties in the 1920s of culture and flourishing. So I'm very optimistic, I think, of what's to come in the 20s because I would just love to live. (laughs) I would love that. Honestly, we deserve it. (laughs) We deserve, yeah, 100% we deserve it. And I'm just, I'm very optimistic. I think with these languages and conversations, you know, I would highly consider this dialogue to be anti-racist work. I think that this, to your point, is such a healthy and helpful discussion for us to have. And I wanted to close it out with a little bit of levity. And so I wanted yes. to do a few red flag deal breakers that are <laughs> I'm so nervous. related. 
No, oh honestly, my God. They're, they're, they're mostly like not that serious because I was like, if they were super serious, obviously it would be a deal breaker. So they're not too crazy. I know. You had warned me about this uh, speed question thing. So I just, yeah. I'm just On your feet. Don't think about it. Okay. First one. They strongly believe celebrities should stick to entertainment and not express a political opinion at all. Celebrities are allowed to say whatever they want to say. I think the issue is when we see folks like Kanye West and you start holding them Mm -hmm. to a pedestal, Mm -hmm. that is a concern. I cannot inhibit someone's First Amendment right to freedom of expression, but Mm -hmm. I think it is the responsibility. And it's a commentary on our culture and pop culture. I think celebrities are definitely should be advocating and using their platforms. And we've seen a lot of white allies do that, too, and come forward. I'm impressed with Anne Hathaway, who I didn't expect her to be as proactive as she's been. Hmm. But if your partner disagreed, would that be a red flag for you or a deal breaker? Not a deal breaker, but I would say it's a probably a tiny red flag in the back of my head. Okay, that's fair. So the next one. Sometimes they get in political arguments in the comment sections on social media posts. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I actually kind of figured petty. this would be like a green flag or, or like yellow flag for you, maybe. Well, if they're incendiary and they're hurting people with vicious, mm-hmm. vicious language and cyberbullying, ouch, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, that's yeah. not a good use of your time and energy. But if you're calling out, back to what we were saying about and being mm-hmm. anti racist, if you see mm-hmm. something, you say something and call it out and it's constructive and you know other people who are scrolling on their timeline are just going to pop and see that too. Major green flag. For me, that's a sign of passion. That's a sign of passion. Mm -hmm. Green flag. I love that. That's a good perspective because I won't get in arguments with people who I don't know about things. But in the last year, I would say I've frequented the comments section a lot more where I'll see a post and be like, oh, man, I know the comments on this are going to be good. And sometimes I don't even want (laughs) to look because I'm like, I know like this is something that I strongly agree with. But I'm curious, like people who don't agree with it, like what are they saying? And so I'll scroll through and it's pretty interesting. And people do right. have really great ways of posing things that I might not have thought of. So it can be helpful. 100%. No, 100%. And I love to, you know, we talk about celebrity engagement, but sometimes someone will say something and I'll go to see which one has the most likes because they're always <laughs> funny and witty and pithy. But then the celebrity will chime in. And I think mm-hmm. it's great to be checked and have your comment section open. Who was it? I think Justin Timberlake turned off his comment section on his posts and people oh. were livid. I, I Don't call me on Justin Timberlake, but I'm pretty sure it was him. Mm-hmm. People were like, what's the point of posting something if people can engage with it? So I think engagement is really important. I agree. I agree. It's very, I don't know, it feels a little bit mean to say, but it's a little cowardly to post something if you're not willing to hear what people are going to say in response. Like, especially if right. you're, I don't know, it, I know that celebrities are bullied and it's like so ridiculous, the things that people will say to them because they have that protection of being behind a screen. But I don't know. I think turning off all the comments is a step too far. And like we were I'm, saying, we need to have that dialogue. Otherwise, people are just going to stay in their bubbles and never be exposed to opposing opinions. And that's really dangerous. For sure. I know for the squad on Instagram, for example, some of their comments have been turned off just because mm-hmm. these Trump supporters have been so racist and vicious mm-hmm. and hurtful. Mm-hmm. So on the Facebook pages, you will see me defend the squad. I'm like, how dare you call them that? Like, Aww. how old are you? That was so rude. But I, I think that. that's what you need. Yeah. I'm always that type of friend. Act first, ask questions later. <laughs> yes. I'll be sitting in the jail cell next to you laughing about how crazy that was. 
<laughs> the friend who will like beat someone up for you. The friend who will go to Burbank with you on a whim. <laughs> right. Good night. Always right. your ride or die. Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Girl, I don't have a car, but let me grab one. <laughs> let me hotwire this car. <laughs> I'm hotwiring this car. <laughs> Okay. Oh my God, I the love these questions. One. So kind of a direct follow-up to a comment you just made. You're having a conversation with this person and you mentioned the squad and they think you're just talking about your group of friends. Right. Oh my gosh. I went on a first date like a month ago. We went on a hike, socially distant. We wore masks and I had briefly passing mentioned the squad and they're like, what's the squad? And I was like, mm. Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. AOC, Ayana? I mean, at the very least. At the very least, and they didn't. And they didn't. And I was just like, even even when I'm not even consuming the news or reading the news, I just see their faces all the time on CNN or Fox News Mm because you can't avoid it because Fox News is either bashing them or CNN is commenting on them or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It... Maybe a small red flag that they're just not civically engaged or as yeah. woke, but I would say an orange flag. It's not like a, That's it's, fair. it's a little more benign, Yeah, a little more benign, but it just showed me you're so out of touch. I just, mm-hmm. and, but you know what? We are educated and privileged and blessed and cultured, and it shows you how far a lot of work people need to do. And I don't think that's my battle. And so yeah. I would say that's a deal breaker. Okay. Okay. Was there a second date? I'm guessing no. We're friends. Okay. Okay. Fair. Yeah. We're friends. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this next red flag <laughs> deal breaker. So you learned this about them later on. So for context, like you've met this person, you feel like you're politically aligned, but then they're talking about their ancestors and you learn that they are like just oddly proud of being like a descendant of Robert E. Lee. Shoot. They're very proud. Mm-hmm. Very proud. But they, you're like, okay, I know this person. I don't think that they're racist. Like nothing has led me to believe that they would be. They just are proud of having an attachment to this Confederate soldier because he's famous and made an impact on history. I would say that is totally a infrared flag. You know, <laughs> the colors there was like red and the Crayola markers was infrared. I'd say infrared because... Not a deal breaker yet, but I just need to find out why. Mm-hmm. If they say, look, Patrick, like, I know it's problematic, but like, it's just my background that like, I have someone who is a historical figure, mm-hmm. but if they have pictures and they're doing <laughs> oh this. God. Imagine, red flag deal breaker, you go back to their home and they have a framed photo of Robert E. Lee. <laughs> Well, maybe, you know what I mean? If they're, maybe as like a historical thing, but yeah. now if I, if I want to go speak with the family and they're all like, we're well aware, but it's just kind of a neat factoid. What do you want me to do? Then I, maybe I could live with it, but I need to find out why. No matter yeah. what, I would have to find out why. That's fair. Yeah. Because it could be totally justifiable. Like you can't erase that part of your family history. You're still a descendant of him, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. So I think it's just a matter of how are you acknowledging it? Right. 100%. Yeah. All right. So the next one, 
They voted for a third party candidate in the last election to make a statement about their disdain for the mainstream candidates. <laughs> no, I I just <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, but it's too ideal. And the people I know who are doing that were, I would say, more progressive leftists, mm-hmm. not liberal. Nowadays, the difference between liberal and progressive leftists are very stark. Mm-hmm. They envision an ideal world where, you know, I'm going to utilize the democratic process for what it's designed for, and my vote will go to this person. Mm-hmm. What we all fail to realize is that it's a numbers game. It's a mm-hmm. game theory. You have two votes. Clearly, unfortunately, the third one is not going to do what it needs to do. Nope. I mean, did Joe Jorgensen take away some votes from Trump in some regions this time around? I would say, yeah. I mm-hmm. think this time around, Joe took some of Trump's votes. And maybe Biden's as well, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the issue was when we had... Bernie fans. Now, mind you, I voted for Bernie in the primaries. Mm -hmm. I voted for Bernie multiple times. I love Bernie. But I think it's when it's just too idealized. Mm -hmm. You're upset and you want to take votes from someone out of a vengeance. I think that's where you need to realize, is my love language at that point one of ego? (laughs) Is is your love language pettiness? (laughs) Pettiness, definitely. Harambe. How many votes did he oh, get? Oh, my and- God. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. He had wow. like several thousand votes, like 30,000 votes, something. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, now, would it be a deal breaker? No, not a deal breaker. I think it would be another orange flag mm-hmm. of, not related to politics, but an orange flag of, if you play devil's advocate with me, enough times you're gonna piss me the fuck off (laughs) and and, but you know maybe there's room for growth maybe there's room to understand why that is but thankfully we live in california but no i'd be very very upset i'd probably be upset for the month month. (laughs) you're like talking in december we need to go on a break (laughs) look look, don't talk to me just (laughs) okay i have one Um, last one So very topical. You found out that they retweeted one of Trump's tweets once, but it was while he was still running for president. It was before he actually got elected. Mm. Mm. Not a deal breaker. I would say another orange flag. I want to find out what the content of that tweet was. Well, you can't because they're all gone. So you just have to guess. Oh my gosh, shoot, you're so right. I'm happy about that. And now, um, damn. Nah, I think I got to be strategic. I'm looking for a partner. (laughs) I think I'd be shooting myself in the foot and being single for the rest of my life. No, I think... I could move past that one for sure. Man, these are really fun, good questions. Ah. Thanks. Yeah, I had fun writing them. I got to ask you that one. I want to ask you that last one too. I'm going to ask you, what do you think about that one? That would be the same for me, like an orange flag where I'd be like, oh, that's not great. But I think the fact that it was while he was still running, you know, I would say most of us probably didn't believe he was even going to win. So I think it has less implication than if you were to retweet something he said in like the last two years, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So I could, I could probably get past it. 
especially because I'm never going to know what it is, like, based on this situation. So right. I think that if they were a good person, I would just – you know, live in the land of ignorance because I have to live in the land of ignorance. I'm never going to have that confirmation and just believe that it's something that's not so detrimental or so toxic. And that was just something that was like a little misguided. I mean, sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? It is. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Man, I've had a lot of fun in this talk, man. I, yes, me too. Ooh, this is nurturing for the soul. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Is there anything that you'd like to plug for where people can find you? <laughs> yes, sure. My Instagram is I am Malkun, M-A-L-K-O-U-N. I don't think I should be on Twitter, but right now I just have an Instagram. <laughs> yes, fair, fair. Fair, fair. It's, and yeah. as always, all Black Lives Matter all the time. So Yes, I love that so much. Thank you. And of course, you can find the podcast at Interstates and Heartbreak, all spelled out. Or you can find my personal account at Leslie Nope, L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you so much. Love you, Leslie. Love you. Bye. Bye. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.